From the offices of Cocktail Collective, this is Cocktails to Stills, a podcast that takes your favorite spirits and liqueurs from the still to the cocktail glass. In each episode, we talk to distillers and creators about particular expressions that their brand have released, what they are, why they were created, and in what cocktails they can be used. Are you ready to understand what's in your glass, or perhaps should be? Welcome to Cocktails Distilled. Less than two decades ago, if you wanted bitters, other than the faithful Angostura or Pechard, you would have to make them yourself. And that's where Bitter Truth stepped in. After they had made bitters in their own bars, Stefan Berg and Alexander Hayek decided to open their creations to the world. We talked to Stefan about scaling up, the bitters in their range, and of course the best way in cocktails to use them. Thank you for joining us, Stefan. Thanks for having me. Now, how did bitters get from the medicine cabinet into the cocktail glass? Well, bitters originally were, were medicine. This was your, your tipple you would, would take uh, if you have something that was ailing you. And bitters traveled a long way. I mean, um, bitters in, in, in Europe, they, you know, they were made for, for centuries by, the, by, by monks, for example, and they were passing along those recipes. Uh, but then you saw immigration happening uh, towards the New World, the United uh, or America back then, and uh, so they brought their medicine with them, and also um, picked plants from that region where they were landing, and then they were just combining the knowledge of those uh, medicinal values of the plants. So the bitters were in every household, basically, because there was there was hardly any other um, medical infrastructure present at that time. So people had to treat themselves. So and once they had the bitters at home, they they soon discovered that if you would add a tiny bit of those bitters, which were already alcoholic, to other alcoholic beverages, that the taste of the, of the other alcoholic beverage would would improve then, and that's probably happened by accident at some point. Nobody knows when and where, no. but uh, this is probably how it how it all went. And how important? I mean, you say that it improves the taste of the cocktail, but how important is bitters to a cocktail? Back then, you had several kinds of mixed drinks already uh, in in white consumption. Uh, but the difference for the cocktail, which now is the overall term for mixed drinks, but it was different back then because the cocktail back then was defined by the use of bitters. You had other drinks like the juleps or the slings or fizzes, you know, sours. They did not call for bitters. But the cocktail mm. itself called for bitters, and it was defined by the use of bitters. So over time, the, the, the term cocktail be- became the overall term for it. But the bitters actually added an, an extra layer of complexity. They were actually more balanced, you know, with all the herbs and spices. They are um, part of, of, of the bitters. They would add an extra dimension of flavor to the, some of the other in, ingredients. 
Now, when you were talking about those early cocktails, you would be talking about things that would be the forefathers of things like an old-fashioned, I'm assuming. This is a very good role model for it because the earliest cocktail recipes, they were actually follow, following the, the first known description of what a cocktail is, and that was described as spirit of any kind, sugar, water, and bitters. And water, in best case, came in, in an iced form which was not always at hand, of course. But uh, the, the, the old-fashioned, uh, it's just liquor, it's sugar, it got the bitters, maybe a, a bit of fancy fruit, and that was it. And then they just uh, changed the spirit so it was easy from a whiskey old-fashioned cocktail to a gin cocktail. It was not too far off. And it all circled around the same uh, kind of concept in, in the early beginnings of the cocktail scene. Let's go forward a number of years, um, but back from where we are today. Describe the cocktail scene and the availability of bitters when you started The Bitters Truth. Well, that was a very different time, even if it was just roughly 15 years ago. But then, uh, back then there were... Um, other drinks in demand. Usually here in Germany, this was not the, the epicenter of the cocktail world. Usually the, uh, people were looking to America or to the U to UK. But in Germany, there was not much happening cocktail-wise because Germany is traditionally a, a, a wine and a beer country. Although we had a few cocktail bars uh, over time, the majority of the population, they were not so much into cocktails. And 15 years ago, 20 years ago, the most popular drink here in in Germany was the Caipirinha. You could have it everywhere. But uh, bitters or, you know, high-end cocktails, they were hardly seen, maybe in a five-star hotel uh, or some um, uh, premium cocktail places where they would have their clientele who would order an old-fashioned or a martini cocktail or Manhattan, these kind of things. Mm. But, you know, there were a lot of people from the bar trade who were just uh, bored by the usual cocktails that were offered, you know, with lots of grenadine and lots of juices to cover up the booze. And then people started thinking in, in a different direction, you know, with starting to use herbs. And of course, the internet was, was booming. And uh, so you got influenced from all parts of the world. And uh, all of a sudden, there was movement. And just within a few years, uh, cocktail bars, they were just popping up like mushrooms everywhere. And uh, the young and hungry bartenders, they were digging out all these uh, older recipes. And then they realized, wow, this is missing and this is missing and we can't buy this and we can't buy that. So that was actually how it was back then. And then right. it, every, everything went pretty quick. I mean, it didn't feel quick when it happened, but, uh, you know, 15 years is not a long time frame, actually. No. And what made you interested in seeking out Bitter's recipes and, and trying to reconstruct them? Well, I was a bartender back then. I worked here in, in Munich in a very old uh, cocktail place where we had these type of, type of clientele who would demand uh, classic steer drinks, but I couldn't buy anything. You know, there was Angostura, of course, uh, but uh, other than that, there were no options. 
So I was basically forced to make my own bidders when I wanted to serve my customers. And at, at that time, I was also a big collector of, uh, you know, vintage cocktail books, pre-prohibition uh, literature about cocktail making and spirits. So and what was very odd to me was basically that bidders defined the cocktail, but we had no bidders anymore. Where, where, have they, where have they gone? And of course, when we, when we then uh, made the bidders uh, at the very beginning, uh, just for our own use, we had other bartenders coming to, to, the, to the bar and asking, oh, what is it? Can I have something? And at some point, it, we had to make a decision. Either we, we would uh, just keep it for ourselves or we would share it. And we liked the, the idea of sharing things because it would also enrich the cocktail scene and uh, other drinks would become into demand then. And yeah. uh, because everybody was bored about uh, making the 5,000th Caipirinha or something like that, you know. How difficult was it to find some of the old recipes? I mean, you talked about having some of the old books. Were there a lot of bitters recipes within those? or There were some. There were some. I mean, in the old cocktail books from the 19th century, usually there was an appendix uh, where they would give directions to imitate this or to do this and that. Uh, because uh, the, the liquor stores back then not be fully stocked. So the bartender of the 19th century, they also had to make their own stuff. So the, the cocktail books usually gave a few recipes how you could make some kind of bitters. And this was okay. just a starting point because, of course, we had the recipes and we made them and then we said, oh, could be could be better or could be different because uh, tastes have changed over time, of course. And then we added our own two cents to it and uh, adjusted those recipes to achieve something that we would have liked ourselves. That was that was the starting. And mm. when we presented the, the the first bitters we had, well, we got a very mixed response because people were just not used to use bitters anymore. And some said, well, we had other bitters for so long, but we hardly used them. Why would we need yours? But there was the other part of the bartending scene who said, oh, this is great. All of a sudden, we have something that comes from our own circle, uh, and we have more options to play with. And that was very, very helpful. Uh, it, right. it didn't feel like the right thing to do at, at that time. But looking backwards, maybe everybody was just waiting for something to happen. Now, as, as you mentioned, it was 15, 14, 15 years ago that you started um, Bitter Truth. Are you surprised by how many bitters companies have opened up since then? Yes and no. I mean... Nobody had expected that bitters would become such a big thing in the cocktail world again. At the beginning, was was just a labor of love. But once the media were were writing about it, and uh, you know we got uh, awards and these kind of things, it's like it's, it always is. If if there's something that has success, 
you will have others uh, following your your path. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. at the beginning, you know, of course, we were worried. Okay, too many other companies making stuff, but at the at the end, it just helps growing the market and also the understanding uh, how bidders are used and they're widely used now. I mean, go to a bar anywhere in the world and you will find bidders again. That was not expected at all. And uh, even if we have so many producers of bidders now, I don't know. I mean, there are new companies coming to market all the time, but I'm not so sure if this is just a local phenomenon or is it really reaching a wider scale uh, also with the distribution network and so on Uh, i don't know the shelves are usually crowded with all kinds of bidders but how would you make your choice well that's the thing for home bartenders who look at you know this almost oversaturated bidders market how do yeah. they choose which ones to bring into the house and which ones to try and use? That's a very difficult question. Um, basically, if if they have not done the in, the investigation, uh, which are the the top ten bidders brands, they they can quickly get lost with things because mm. you know uh, all the impressions of bidders they are out there. Well, it's it's very very hard. It, it would even be hard for ourselves to to make the right pick. But on the other hand, the the longest standing companies they are usually the ones who who provide a consistent quality over years, and you can hardly go wrong with them. On the other hand, there's a lot of of marketing going on around bidders and those who scream the loudest may get the most attention. Mm. But there is also a lot of try and error involved, I guess. I mean, it's just like uh, buying a new bottle of gin. I mean, you you can be lucky or you can be disappointed. Mm. Do you think that the bidders market is oversaturated? Or do you think that there is still room for innovation? I believe there's always room for innovation because this keeps the world turning around. And uh, it is saturated to the max, but I was also thinking like this many years ago already, and I was proved wrong. Uh, So maybe we were just at the beginning and there's more to come. It's, It's very hard to make a to make a good guess here, uh, if it's all saturated, it, it's definitely getting more difficult, especially now with a with a virus uh, spreading mm. around the world. Uh, it's not making things easier for for nobody. Let's go back a little bit again. When you made the decision to scale it up and start Bitter Truth, was it difficult to? scale the recipes themselves up to a, shall we say, almost commercial level? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you do something small batch with a, with a few liters uh, and then you go to a few thousand liters, you have to make adjustments. 
And also you have to guarantee that the product is shelf stable, that it's not changing over time. So you have to apply different techniques and you also had to adjust the recipes because bigger batches uh, behave differently than smaller batches. But this is something we had enough time to figure out uh, because we made the first 25,000 bottles by hand and uh, we already had some experience uh, that things develop a bit differently when you go to larger batches. Now, you call bitters the spice rack of the bar. Explain to people exactly what you mean by that. What a spice rack for a bar actually gives reference to all the herbs and, and spices you would use in the kitchen. And when it comes to cocktails, the bitters offer the most complex essence you can use in your cocktails and just by changing the bitters you can have a complete different result uh, of your of your cocktail and so you can spice it in the way you want your cocktail to taste and i can only describe it as a salt and pepper for the bar now if someone has never used bitters before and they're about to buy bitters for the first time what type of bitters would you suggest that they start with? I would suggest you go for a classic aromatic bitters and an orange bitters. These are the two classic, most popular bitters flavors who have thousands of references in, in cocktails uh, over, say, 100, 200 years. And this is a good starting point. Uh, Stick to your aromatic and orange, and maybe you you can uh, even play around uh, that aromatic bitters category. But as a beginner, I would not suggest you go straight to the savory st style of bitters like uh, celery or olive, because they are simply uh, a different kind of thing, and they require a bit of experience and handling also. Now, you talk about some of these bitters being different styles. Can you talk us through what they are? Yeah. So the, the classic bitters type, as it used to be in the old days, there was only aromatic type. You know, mm. when, when bitters were only medicine, they were be sold as stomach bitters or, you know, uh, iron bitters, you know, something that would strengthen your body. At least they were pretending that. So they were all kind of aromatic, heavy, just think of your concentrated Amaro type of stuff. And then uh, towards the end of the 19th century, there was also a shift in in, in alcoholic spirits uh, because they were shifting from potzel distillation to continuous distillation. Right. And the spirits, they got lighter and lighter. So we saw the introduction of dry gin, for example. They then required also a lighter type of bitters. And that made uh, way for for the fruit style or fruity type of bitters like orange bitters, because okay. they were they were um, not so heavy bodied like the aromatic style. Uh, so basically, you have the aromatic group, which uh, is um, the Creole, the chocolates, for example, chocolate bitters, uh, the Jerry Thomas bitters, and then you have the citrus fruity. 
section with lemon, grapefruit, peach, uh, where the fruit notes are in the, in the foreground. And then you have the other category, uh, which is savory style bitters. Think about your, your celery bitters, your cucumber, olive bitters. And then you have maybe some odd ones. They don't fall into one or the other category. But basically, you can break it down to those three uh, categories. What is the biggest mistake that you see people making when they use bitters? I think the biggest mistake is, is that people use too little of the bitters. If you're... Okay. And, you know, sometimes I read recipes where they call for one or two or three drops. I mean, if you have a cocktail that is three, four ounces and you have a drop or two of bitters, they would simply get lost. And if we look back what a cocktail usually was, it was a small drink. It was not a 10-ounce glass or whatever. Uh, it was a small drink, two to three ounces, and they had two to three dashes of bitters. So if you would scale it up, you would end up in, in, in today's cocktail sizes sometimes, you would end up at four to six dashes. Okay. Um, on the other hand, some people are also overusing it where they put way too, too much bitters into the cocktail and then the bitters take over. Right. But this is just my opinion. I mean, basically, there is no good uh, or right or wrong as as long as as the as the drinker likes the drink, no. Like salt and pepper, it is to taste. Yes, yes. I mean, I I describe the bitters also like the bass in music. You should not hear the bass straight in your face, but if you take it off, you will immediately notice there's something missing. And a very simple test you can do with bitters is do the same drink with bitters and do it without. And you will notice that the drink with bitters always tastes better. Recently, you guys released the Bogart bitters, which yes. are a little bit special. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the story behind those? Bogart's bitters were a long process to, to redevelop. Um, Bogart's bitters actually never existed. Um, it's a misspelling of a famous bitters brand from the 19th century, which was known as Boker's bitters. But okay. uh, Boker's bitters were the king of bitters in the 19th century. They were the first bitters ever used in cocktails uh, by Jerry Thomas and by Harry Johnson, the two leading figures uh, of the bar trade in the 19th century. But what happened when they were publishing the very first cocktail book in 1862, uh, written by Jerry Thomas, they had a, they had a spelling mistake in that few cocktail recipes. And instead of Bogers, they were writing Bogers. And, right. uh, so I was lucky enough to, to find a bottle of original Bogers bitters, uh, which still had, uh, all, all the contents, um, in the bottle and the label were intact. And I found this okay. about 13, 13 years ago. And since then, it was always the, the, the plan to re-release it. So we did a lot of reconstructing, analyzing, and it took us 12 years to come to the point where we were happy with, with the results. 
And up till 2005, the common saying was no living person has ever tried real bogus bitters. And there was quite something we wanted to bring back. And there's a, there's a little movie about all the, the history about bogus bitters on our website we made, and it explains a lot about the, the little details of the journey we had to go through. Are there other historical bitters that you would like to recreate? I would have liked to see a good replica of Abbott's Bitters. Abbott's Bitters was a company based in Baltimore in the United States, and right. uh, they went out, of, went out of business in the mid-50s. And there were a few attempts to, to recreate this type of bitters because it had a very special taste to it. But so far, I have not had a replica that was right on point with the original stuff we have. But, but, but this was something very interesting. I mean, there were, they were commercially released again, uh, but as I said, they were not as complex as the original. And I fear there will not be another recreation of the Abbots because somebody made it a trademark again, and then things get very difficult to fight right. against trademarks, unfortunately. What sort of flavor would the Abbots have had that made it different from anything else that is around? It was a typical aromatic bitters with warm spices and so on, but it has a, had a pronounced kind of tonka bean note to it. And okay. uh, it's, it's believed there was no tonka bean in it, but it, it goes in that direction. But tonka right. bean itself okay. is, not, is not approved uh, in, the, in the United States by the FDA because it has some uh, medicinal downsides, I would say, you know, where's it, where it's uh, uh, causing internal bleeding if taken in higher doses or so. Oh, God, yes, that, so this that would cause problems, yeah, indeed. Which of the bitters that you produce is your favorite? Oh, another difficult question because it would kind of be like uh, name your favorite child. I'm most proud of the Bogarts, I must say, um, simply because it took so long and uh, there were many ups and downs in all the process. And uh, this is something that's kind of our our legacy, I would say, because we tried to to get as close as possible to the original stuff to save some cocktail history. But other than that, I have no favorite because our... Uh, route to market is usually we have to like it ourselves. If we don't like it, we will not release it. So they're all okay. kind of equal to it to ourselves. Aside from the Bogarts, I believe there are twelve bitter expressions within your range now. Correct. Can we discuss a few of them and how they're used? I was thinking we might start with the Jerry Thomas. Yeah, Jerry Thomas bitters is a typical aromatic style bitters. It's actually based on a recipe that was given by Jerry Thomas, the bartender from the 19th century himself, in his books. He used to run several saloons and bars across the United States. And he had his own kind of bitters. He was serving as a digestive 
to her to his customers. The problem with that recipe he was publishing was that one ingredient was no longer considered safe by the global health organizations. So we had to reformulate that original recipes by replacing that dangerous ingredient with a couple of other ingredients to achieve the, the same flavor profile. It tastes okay. very nine, 19th, 19th century. So there's a lot of clove, a lot of uh, cinnamon notes to it. But it's it's great with all kinds of dark liquor, you know, with rum, with whiskey, with cognac. Uh, has a very dry note to it. Um, got f- fruit notes, uh, clovey numbness uh, is involved. But it opens up a cocktail like the Manhattan or the old fashioned in in unknown ways. What about Creole? The Creole is also a type of aromatic bitters, but the but the ingredients used in the Creole bitters a completely different neighborhood. In Creole bitters, you know, it's uh, those are influenced by the Creole cuisine from the southern states of of America, say, uh, Louisiana, where you had a lot of immigrants coming from the Caribbean islands. So, uh, former slaves who then worked on the, on, on the sugarcane fields. And they brought, of course, their culinary style with them. So it's more kitchen spice driven and also Cajun cuisine, uh, played a very important role in this type of style of bitters. So you got anise, you get caraway, you get maize, all being present. Basically, uh, or the creator of Peychaud's bitter used to be a Creole uh, people, you know, because they okay. were the firstborn, the firstborn uh, generation after the, after the slaves were brought from Africa to, to America. So it's, very different to your Angostura uh, or to your aromatic type bitters. Uh, it's more dry, more, more 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 floral, fruity. I would say. So you you can of course put it into your Manhattan's old fashioned type of things, but it's also great with gin, for example. While other typical aromatic bitters are so great with gin. Because they rather right. work with with darker spirits, but uh, Creole bitters with lighter type of spirits is a very good match. Is there? I mean, you were talking about the aromatics tending to work better with darker spirits. Fruit, I would guess, would work better with lighter spirits. Does savory do both? It can actually be both, and that's very surprising. You know, when we made the first savory flavored bitters, uh, celery was the first, and it was a a very good match with with gin, of obviously you know gin mm. or, or blanco blanco tequila, but soon we re- realized that people are using this the, the savory flavors in completely different ways sometimes, and this is also for us a learning process. We have seen you know candied uh, pineapple sprinkled with celery bitters, and we thought, oh, that's pretty odd, but it was great. Yeah. Uh, or we have seen uh, cocktails made with fernet and other ingredients, and then they used cucumber bitters in it, and it was great. So yeah. there is no there is no right or wrong again. I mean, you see, creativity goes in all directions. As long as the result 
finds uh, finds customers or supporters of that kind of drink, be my guest. What's the future for Bitter Truth? What 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 are you doing next? Well, that's hard to say in this in these difficult times. But Bitter Truth began very early also to diversify. So we are not only producing bitters. This is one part of our business. We early started by making liqueurs. Uh, they were no longer made, just like violin liqueur or falernum or pimento dram. And probably we will make more of these type of products because we got so many bidders already. And I think we closed kind of a circle with the release of the Bogart's bitters. At the moment, I can't see what's missing. And uh, yeah. we're all right in the middle of a storm with all the restaurant and bar industry suffering from this uh, COVID-19 situation. Uh, mm. So nobody knows what the future is going to bring. Nobody has a crystal ball. So we have a few things we we're already working on, but hard, hard to tell. <laughs> I suppose everything's uh, been also, put a bit on hold. Yeah, I mean, we, we just have to see what what the next month's going to bring, you know. Is it getting mm. better or is it getting worse? And uh, hopefully it will turn out to the better. But of course, that was a hard hit for, for everybody who was in the liquor industry, you know, be yes, it bars, restaurants, you know. If people are trying to find the bitters or the liqueurs, where are they available? Are you pretty much available globally? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, we have distribution in about 80 countries. Uh, so all the major markets, I would say, you know, the US, uh, Australia, China, all over Asia, all over Europe. Uh, there are some white spots uh, still in uh, South America and Africa. But other than that, you should be relatively easy to find uh, the bitter truth um, in in your home market. Next week, we're going to launch our new website. And there's also a section uh, where you can go to where where to buy the bitter truth. And it will give you some selection of online shops where you can uh, buy the shops in your home country. Oh, excellent. If people want to find out more about the bitter truth and where they can buy it, obviously they can go to your website, which is the-bitter-truth.com. Thank you for joining us, Stefan. Thanks for having me. And we'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Cocktails Distilled. Be sure to visit cocktailcollective.com.au to access the show notes. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Until next time, cheers.